much for being here today, y'all. I really appreciate it. I am thrilled to be a part of the conference, and um, I do. I love working with adolescents, so um, I appreciate youth directors and, and all of everyone else who also shares in, in that with us. Um, I, I do want to talk uh, about the media and, and body image and the messages that our, our girls in particular are receiving from it. Um, one of the, the first things that I, I appreciate is, this is a quote by Jean Kilborn, and if you're not familiar with her and you're working with adolescent girls, I would really recommend you get familiar with her. She is not a Christian, but she has done, well, she may be a Christian. Her messages are not Christian, okay? Um, but she has done so much work on the media and advertising and young women and what the messages portray that she's a great resource for um, talks or anything that else that, that y'all would you know be doing with adolescents and she she said the first thing that advertisers do is surround us with the image of ideal female beauty so we all learn how important it is for a woman to be beautiful and exactly what it takes and I love that quote because it is so true that everywhere we go our girls know exactly what they are supposed to look like in order to be beautiful um, and, and they're learning this from the different advertisers and, and messages. I sat in on, on Gil Cracky's session um, just a few minutes ago and he talked a lot about this too, about the messages that they're going to receive. It doesn't matter where they're coming from but they are going to receive these messages. So today I want to talk about a couple of things. First thing I want to talk about is the monster behind the mirror. And I like to call that monster the media. Um, we're also going to go into how we're wired, specifically how adolescents are wired. Um, I want to, to give you a good understanding of, of what your kids are experiencing and going through um, as they're faced with these different images. The third thing is our dear friends, guilt and shame. <laughs> we all know them well. Um, and the last thing is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. All right. So I like to set this up. I, I know that um, according to Cameron, we are supposed to talk for a little while and then have questions and answers. Uh, if it's okay with you, I would like to just let's talk. You know, so if, if stuff comes up, if you want to stop me, please don't hesitate to be like, what? You know, I would much prefer it that way, but don't tell Cameron I said that, okay? Don't tell Cameron I said that. That went on. All right. Yeah, we. All right. So I, I wanted to start by telling you um, a story about one of the, the kids that I work with. Like Elizabeth said, I am, I'm a counselor on staff at Covenant Counseling Center. Um, my specialty is adolescence, um, and, and I primarily work with body image and eating disorders. So I have a lot of experience getting even more specific in that realm. Um, but I, I had a girl in my office probably two, three years ago, and she struck me so strongly because she was such a sweet little girl, really cute. You know, there, I mean, nothing just, oof, you know? No social problems, nothing like that, that that you could look at and say, okay, we really, we got some work to do. Um, she was just a real normal, cute little girl. Um, but this little girl came to me because she had a bully at school. Um, whenever she would go to school, she would get bombarded with things like, oh my gosh, you're so fat. Ugh. You're disgusting. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. You know, all of these messages that these kids are, are throwing at her. Um, and it really, I mean, it just wrecked her. And so as, as she and I started working through it and, and kind of talking about it, it became more and more clear to her and to myself that it wasn't actually a bully at school that was beating her up, but it was she herself. That every time she would walk out of the house, she was saying stuff to herself about how disgusting she was and how imperfect she was and how she didn't have any friends 
and how nobody liked her, nobody was ever going to like her, and her grades weren't good enough, and constantly bullying herself into believing these messages. And I, I wonder, too, y'all work with kids. I know that you have either been there yourselves, I think we've all been there at some point, or you can name people in your youth group or kids that you work with who are doing this to themselves. It's just this constant banter inside their head, okay? Where does this stuff come from? Um, that's, that's really what I wanted to start honing in, in on today. Um, there are a couple of facts. That, that I want us to talk about today. And, and first let me say to the guys that are in the room, I am uber impressed with y'all for being here. Um, I, I think that most of my, most of the time I get a whole lot of girls and the guys are like, mm, I don't really want to do that. Mm, I don't really work with girls and you know, that kind of thing. So you have my utmost respect for being here today. Um, and I, I like to throw out this tidbit just to kind of level the playing field for you. The number of times a day that a guy is thinking about sex or lust or something like that is the same number of times a day that a girl is thinking about her body. All right? So when a guy is, is dealing with images in his head, as many times a day as a guy is dealing with that, a girl is thinking, do I look fat? Does this make me look big? Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Look how skinny she is. That kind of thing. All right. These are the messages that are constantly being bombarded. Any guesses how many ads per day our kids are faced with on average? Bueller. Bueller. Did you look at my talk? Oh, well, you're right. 3,000, y'all, 3,000 ads per day we are faced with. When it comes to billboards or television or Internet, wherever it is, advertisers are blasting our kids with, with things that they should do and, and what not to do and what to buy and what not to buy. When we add it up, it turns out to be a total of two years of our life, two entire years straight, that we're just paying attention to ads. That's it. Two years. Um, School-aged women starting to diet. Do you, any guesses the age that girls start to compare their weight to each other? Five. Close. Seven. Seven years old, the average girl starts noticing herself compared to her friends. All right, so of 9 to 11-year-olds, what's the percentage that they're dieting? 9 to 11-year-olds. 46% of 9 to 11-year-olds. High school girls, any guesses? Close. 60. You'll be happily surprised. 60%. <laughs> yeah. Could you clarify on dieting? Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of dieting, and there's healthy and terribly unhealthy forms of dieting. Probably for most high school girls, it's unhealthy. Yes. But could you comment on what dieting looks like? Well, yes, because dieting in a healthy form that, it, that contributes to a body's function is healthy. And there's, there's absolutely a, a time and a place for that. And so one of the main things that I'm working with, when I work with girls, in, in my team and practice at Covenant on staff, we have a dietitian that we work with. Um, we have a medical doctor, a family therapist, that kind of thing. But healthy eating is very, very important. Now, healthy eating that has crossed over to being um, a detriment to uh, daily life, when it starts to interfere, when you have kids that you're working with who would rather go to the gym than go to youth group, that's a problem. All right? When they are bringing cookies, bringing food, bringing cakes to the party, but they're not eating, that's a problem. So these are some of the red flags that we're coming up with that, that there's, a, there's a problem here. 
Um, they've actually added a new um, form of anorexia, bulimia, eating disorders to the DSM, which is the, um, the manual that we as therapists use to diagnose people, and it's called orthorexia. And orthorexia is that taking that healthy mentality, organic, um, all of those things, which there's nothing wrong with in and of itself. Um, but taking that stuff to the extreme, and that is actually included in the eating disorder field. So we distinguish between when it starts to interfere with daily life versus, you know, when it's just part of healthy living. Okay? So college-aged women, what percentage dieting? 91, 91%, isn't that nuts? 91% of college women at any given time are dieting. And we see this over and over again. I, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Birmingham and, and where, where everyone's from, but our office is right across from um, a school here called Samford University, which is a private Christian school. And let me tell you, majority of my clients are Christian women who are dealing with this kind of stuff, 91% of college women are on some kind of diet. Why? Why is this? Because the average American woman, guess how tall she is? Close, 5'4". Five, 5'4", four. Five, four weighs 140. 5'4", 140 pounds. The average American model close. 5'11", 117. All right. So we have this huge discrepancy that 98% of women can't met physically. It's impossible to measure up to that. All right. So the, the last one I want to go over is the death rate. The death rate for eating disorders, specifically anorexia, is the number one killer of all mental illnesses. Higher than schizophrenia, higher than um, Alzheimer's, anorexia is the number one mental illness killer. And yet, in the industry, eating disorders get the fewest amount of funding than any other mental illness. That's what we're dealing with here. So getting this message out, y'all, and educating yourself and knowing what's going on specifically as you're working with, with kids, it, that's why it's so vital because it's so not understood. Um, the information is, is just not out there. Back one. Thank you. So I wanted to talk for a second about the goals of the media. All right, what, what, what's the point here? And I'm really not trying to bash proactive, okay? But those commercials are such a great example of, of the goals of the media, all right? Self-proclaimed goals of the media are, number one, to create anxiety for us, right? Oh, my gosh, I see this. I mean, think, really, go in your mind through a proactive commercial, all right? You see this woman who has unfortunate skin, or a guy who has unfortunate skin, right? And it's creating this anxiety of, I'm not okay. I am not okay. And the goal of the media, that first one, is to make you know that you are not okay and create that anxiety inside of you. The second one is to create comparisons, all right? I am not okay, but you are okay, all right? Thinking through that commercial, and suddenly the celebrity with the perfect skin and the perfect hair pops up, right? Oh, that person, they're okay, all right? And the third and last goal of the media is to promote perfection. And if you buy this product, if you use this, then the world opens up to you. Then suddenly you're gonna have dating relationships and you're gonna be wealthy and it's gonna be fabulous and all your problems are gone, right? So it's this, this concrete set of, of goals, create anxiety, create comparisons, and then promote perfection that our, our commercials are going through. And so our kids with that perfection are having to fill the gap between I am not okay, 
but you are, you are okay. And what am I going to do in between to make up for my own deficiencies? All right. Um, that, let's watch a video. This is Johnson, if anyone hasn't met Johnson. Johnson is our um, technical guy for today. Uh, actually, let me before you start it, can I set it up for you? This is a video called America the Beautiful. And um, it's a documentary that, I don't know, some guy did. And um, it's really good. Um, I say, though, y'all screen it first because it's definitely not PG. Um, but if you have a select group of, of guys or girls that can handle it, um, it really does lead to some great discussion and, and some great insight. Okay? The clip that we're going to watch um, is on different advertisers. They're going to, excuse me, interview various magazine editors, Cosmo, L, that kind of thing. And they're going to talk for a second about what their, their goals are. Okay? After they've done that, they're going to cut for a second to some, some um, what do you call the little groups, the, like some focus groups, yes, that they've done in high schools, okay? And the, actually, I think this is a middle school because the documentary itself starts with this girl who's probably 13, 14 years old. Um, her name is Jaren Taylor, and you all may have heard of her, but she started very, very young was found out by modeling agencies, really rose to the top, became the supermodel for Tommy Hilfiger and you know all these major names. But by the time she was 18 and had hit puberty and had developed a body, nobody wanted her anymore. And so it's a fascinating study of watching this young woman over the past five years start with Ah, just this child and the innocence that she is and then by the time she's 18 deciding that she needs to have plastic surgery and she has to keep up and feeling like such a failure and that kind of thing. So that's what we're, we're setting up to watch. That little girl on the right is the supermodel. All right, let's stop right there for the second time. This is her. This is her as, as a 15, 13-year-old. And then they, they watch this transition. Oh, it's really crazy. I mean, it is, it's really fascinating if you, know, if you do have time 
to invest in this. Also, let me, let me say too, I brought several resources over here. Um, so please check these out. These are some different books and things like that that I have found have been really helpful for girls. Some of them are devotional books. Other ones are just on body image and, you know, what Christ says about, you know, that kind of thing. But also I brought some handouts on how to lead video discussions and advertising discussions with your kids. So if you sit down with a movie or, you know, a magazine or whatever, here are some questions that you can ask. Also, the, the third copy that I brought is they're actually a set of bookmarks. So that's why they're broken down. They look kind of funny on the page. But it's just some ideas of, of how to improve body image and things like that. It's nothing profound. <laughs> okay. Did you have a question? Do you have a printout of the information that's in um, the PowerPoint and media show? No, but we can get you one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. All right. So we've talked about the monster behind the mirror. All right. We've talked about the media. We've laid the foundation of this is what's going on. This is what we're dealing with. This is what we're, we're seeing. Will you go to the next slide for me? And the next one. Now I want us to go into what are we dealing with? As, especially as children, I'm going to focus on, on teenagers. But I want us to talk for a second about stages of development. There is a psychologist, um, old, 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 his name was Erickson. And he came up with several stages of development that we all go through. And I'm going to give us just a real brief rundown of those. Okay, but starting with children, he explained the stages of development that a child goes through is the attachment stage. Right? We all hear about that, healthy attachment, bonding with the parents, you know, that kind of thing. But the attachment stage, if they don't have that healthy attachment, the fear that accompanies that is being alone. Okay, and that's why it's so important for kids to develop that bonding, even with a security blanket or, you know, a, a favorite babysitter or whoever it is. All right, that's a that's a vital stage of development. Teenagers, all right, and Gil just talked about this too. This is where y'all are going to be really focusing in. All right, teenagers go through the stage called role confusion. Identity versus role confusion. Every teenager you will run into is trying to figure out who they are. What is my point in here? Why am I here? What am I going to do? All right? We've all went through stage. I mean, think about the things that y'all did in high school. I mean, I remember I went through this stage where I was going to be just this cowgirl. I don't know. And I had these boots, and they were so ugly, and I just wore these boots all the time because, yeah, you know, I'm a cowgirl, and whatever, all right? But think about this. I mean, it makes sense. When, when we see teenagers with piercings and blue hair, and they're listening to crazy music and, you know, stuff like that, they're trying on these different identities, all right? Because no matter what any teenager says, they're, they're going to say, I just want to be myself. I just want to be my own person. I don't, I don't want to impress anybody. That is crap. And if you believe that, you're getting snowballed. All right? There's not a teenager out there who doesn't just want to fit in. And if they haven't fit in, if they haven't found that group, that's when they're going to adopt the screw you mentality. All right? And when they do that, that's when they're saying, I don't care, I don't care. And it's all rooted in being alone. All right. As young adults, we go through the, the intimacy stage, right? We're finishing college, 20s, 30s. What's the big question? Am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? That's that intimacy stage, right? And if I, not, if I don't, what's my fear? being alone yeah all right think about mature adults I've lived my life it's coming to the end what's my legacy gonna be the stage that mature adults go through is called integrity 
all right? And, and the big question is, am I going to die alone? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to be there? Right? What's the big fear? Alone. All right? So all stages of life that we're dealing with, there is this root fear that we're going to be alone. Now, focusing in more on teenagers, there are three basic needs that every teenager needs to meet. All right? The first need, oh, will you change it for me? The first one is security. Okay? Every teenager needs to find a sense of security. And what we're talking about is this unconditional love. All right? Um, it's this safety that they can have. So as we're going through this, I really want you to think about the kids in your youth group that you're working with. All right? And ask yourself, who is providing each one of these things for that child? Who is providing their security? Who or what? is providing their security. Is it their friends? Is it their body? Is it their grades? All right. So security is the first one. Again, that's the, the unconditional love. The second one is acceptance. And, and that is the need to be noticed and the need to be respected. All right. Uh, one of the main complaints that I get, and I'm sure y'all do too, when you're talking to a teenager is, my parents, they just don't get me. They just don't understand. They just don't get me, right? And I, I think that there, to some degree, there is some truth to that. Um, you know, there is an element of you're a teenager and you're crazy, okay? But there is some degree that a lot of parents really do miss each other you know, with their, with their kids. And that's what this acceptance is tapping into, that a child is entitled to have their own ideas and their own opinions, their own preferences, you know. And parents have a hard time sometimes recognizing that even though they're different from them, they're still okay, okay. And I'm not talking about religion here, all right, but I am talking about basic things like I had a fight with my mom when I was a kid on how long my hair was going to be. Really? I mean, really? Doesn't matter that much. You know, she thought it looked stringy. I wanted it long. Who cares? Okay? But it's that acceptance that, that they're looking for of, I'm okay. You can respect what I have to say. Okay? The third and last one, that, that the basic need that every teenager needs is significance, all right? And when we're talking about that, it's these are the existential questions. What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? What am I doing? Who am I? All of those things. I, I had a, a really sad conversation with, with a client not too long ago who was telling me that she could drink 12 beers and crush them over her head without passing out. And the sad thing is, she could, and that was her significance. She found it. But that's what she was finding it in. I mean, how tragic is that? All right? So think through these kids. Who or what is providing this significance for them? Okay? Will you go? Yeah. I, I want to introduce you to, to something called the shame tree. And anybody who has has heard me talk, Elizabeth, is going to know this quite well um, because I feel like this is such a root um, concept that we have to get when we're working with adolescents, okay? The, the shame tree is, uh, so we're thinking about how we get our needs met, right? Well, my, my husband is um, a horticulturalist. And so when we first met, we were dating, we went to Auburn, and, you know, we would go walking around campus and stuff like that, and he would say, what kind of tree is that? What kind of tree is that? Like quizzing me on this, okay? It was annoying as all get out, because I don't know. I mean, to me, a tree is green, and it's got bark, or it doesn't. You know, like, I, I really, I don't notice anything like that. So, but he taught me so much through that experience. All right, because I learned that trees, under that that thick layer of bark, 
that they have. They tell amazing stories. When you cut through to the rings of a tree, you can tell tons of information about that tree. You can find out when there was a drought. You can find out if it was struck by lightning. You can find out when it was healthy. Um, you, I mean, tons of information just by cutting through to the, the deeper parts of that tree. And the same is true with us. And you know where I'm going with this. Uh, under the deep bark or skin or whatever you want to call it, that we, and particularly our teenagers, are walking around with, we tell some pretty amazing stories. We store up a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of pain and embarrassment and shame underneath our thick layers. I, I love the, the quote that by the fruits you may know them, but by the roots you may understand them. And I think that that's so true. By, by the fruits you may know them, you can see what they look like. You can see how they act. You can see who their friends are, or, you know, what's important to them. But it's only by getting to the roots that you really understand a child, a teenager, a spouse, a friend. Okay? So we talk about this as, as the shame tree. What happens? I, I love this image. I love this tree. If I, if I knew how to do Photoshop, though, I would manipulate it a little bit and show branches really pronounced sticking out. All right, so use your imagination and, and look at the branches all right, of that tree. The branches of, of our trees are our coping skills. All right? I'm, I'm thinking in particular of a teenager. Coping skills, people-pleasing. <laughs> how many teenage girls are people-pleasers? Right? Um, grades, alcohol, body image, whatever it is, but, but imagine these branches as their coping skills, all right? And out of the trunk comes their coping skills. Well, at any given time, we can, we can pretty much cut off one of the branches, you know? I mean, I can teach you, teach a kid how not to be a perfectionist with their grades or you know, how to do some relaxation techniques and calm down. You know, we can pretty much deal with the branches, you know. But the problem with any living thing is that if you cut off one branch, what happens? Another one's just going to grow right back, all right? And, and we see this time and time again that once we have a child who lets go of saying grades, well, then suddenly they become obsessed with what their friends think. Or, you know, that maybe they let go of so much what their friends think, but then they become obsessed with something else. Okay? So in order for us to really deal with our tree, we got to get down to the root stuff. And in those roots, what happens is something that was painful, something embarrassing, I dropped a tray in the, the lunchroom, um, I didn't get asked to prom, whatever it is, something happened in that root that planted the seed. All right? When that seed hit the soil, that soil was shame. And it was out of that shame that our tree started growing. We don't just wake up one day with these coping skills. An alcoholic doesn't wake up one day and just say, I think I'll be an alcoholic today, right? Something happened down in that roots, hit the shame, and out of that, they're trying to cope, okay? So understanding that about the, the kids that you're working with, that what you see that they're doing that it's, it's so much deeper than that, okay? Okay, <laughs> all right. I, I want us to talk for a second between the difference between guilt and shame, all right? And there is a really big difference, and I think a lot of times we lump these two in together. Um, but guilt 
has to do with the failure of doing. All right, what, what do I mean by that? I, I mean that the failure of doing. Guilt is I did something wrong, right? I messed up. I forgot my appointment or, you know, I forgot your birthday and I feel guilty about it. Okay, that's guilt. With, with both guilt and shame come various fears, all right? With guilt, which is a failure of doing, comes the fear of punishment. I forgot your birthday and now you're going to be ticked off at me, right? There's a punishment involved in that. On the other hand, shame is a failure of being. I am messed up. Not I did something that was messed up. I did something wrong. But I myself am messed up. All right? And the, the fear that comes with shame is abandonment. Are you putting, putting these pieces together of what we just talked about? If we were to go back about four slides and we talked about those stages of development, we all feared being alone. Where's that coming from? Shame. Get it? That abandonment. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Okay? And big picture is who is providing those basic needs, security, acceptance, significance? Because if we are not teaching our kids that those three things are found in Christ, in Christ alone, they're going to find that security in media messages, advertising, body image, guys, sex, alcohol, grades, people pleasing, whatever it is, whatever that tree looks like. All right? And that's why it's so important that we hit to this root stuff of shame. There's a cycle. How are we doing on time? How much time do I have? Whew. Okay, we'll go fast. Um, this is the this is what I call the shame cycle. All right. So once we have gotten into this this area of shame, once we've let that take root into our hearts, we enter this shame cycle. All right. The first thing is we become aware of it. Oh shoot! I didn't get um, invited to prom and everybody else did. Okay. The next thing is we're embarrassed by it and now I'm not going to have plans on Friday night and I'm not going to have my picture taken and blah 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 right so we have to regain our composure all of those things are normal we all go through embarrassing situations every single one of us and some people compose themselves by laughing it off and trying to make a joke out of it some people need to get out and have a good cry whatever it is okay but after we've gone through those three things Okay, we have a choice. You can't really see it on there, but this is called, this is where I'm talking about the new self versus the old self. Okay, Paul talks about this. Put off the old, put on the new. This plays directly into the shame stuff. Okay, if we're going to put on the new self, after we've experienced this embarrassment, this shame, all right, that's when we're going to go back to what Christ says. And we're going to let our identity be rooted in what he says, as opposed to the old self, which continues this shame cycle to recall, internalize, and eventually isolate. And that's what all of these coping skills always end up with. It's an isolation. Scripture is full of, of verses that talk about being in the darkness and coming into the light. That darkness is what we're talking about. It's that deep area of, of pain and aloneness as opposed to being in the light and exposing ourselves. Okay? That's the cycle. We have a choice. And I think it's really important that we teach the kids that we work with that they have a choice to either continue this cycle of the old self or especially if they are Christians or how to be a Christian, how do I, I, how to adopt the new self, this new identity where they don't have shame anymore. It's gone. Christ did away with it. Okay? 
we trained. Gil talked about this in his last talk too, so we <laughs> we should have talked beforehand. But um, there's the the scripture: "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." How do we do this? How do we break that shame cycle with a child, with a, for ourselves? The the first thing we do is renewing of our mind. We've got to change our mindset. All right. We talk about being conformed to this world, and, and to be conformed is to follow the same pattern. All right? Specifically, in this instance, the pattern of what the world says, what Seventeen Magazine says, all right? what the latest movies say of, of what is lovable. So do not be conformed to this world, because 98% of women, remember, can't achieve that anyway. So why are we trying to conform to that? All right? But instead be transformed. And and when we talk about transformation, especially with our kids, we're not talking about slapping on a coat of lipstick. All right? It's so much more than that. We're talking about the the caterpillar going to the butterfly. I mean a totally different form to look nothing like the old self, the shame self, right? But to be transformed into something completely new by the renewing of your mind. Because when we're not, that's when these distorted views of body image and and media messages, that's when they start sinking in and and deciding for us what our self-worth is. in Romans, they, it talked about how they exchanged the truth of God for the lies. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we're talking about here, of are our kids buying into the lies versus what the truth is. Um, for, okay. for the sake of time, I had, I had planned on showing you um, a clip, because not all of hope is lost, Okay. There are some fabulous media campaigns that are going on, and Dove is doing one of them. Um, this is a couple of years old, but they ran a campaign for real beauty, um, and they've done such great work. You can find it on YouTube if you're working with girls and you want to show it. Um, but it's this clip where it's um, a, a model, and they show her in front of your face. They, they time-lapse it. It's great. And they time-lapse it into about two minutes, of how she's transformed from a regular normal person to what the, you know, makeup and hair and then the digital guys, they elongate her neck and make her eyes bigger and, I mean, do that kind of stuff. And that's what you see, all right? And so it's really cool because it's great that that they are showing you some of the truths of what the lies are trying to get you to believe, Okay. Um, let's go into, will you go to the next one, Jonathan? These are the truths that transform. All right, we've talked about not conforming, but transforming. And these are the truths that are going to be transformation provoking. The first one is that you or they, if you're a sure teenager, were created by a loving God with worth apart from their appearance, grades, talents, or personality, all right? And I put some scriptures down there for you to back this stuff up. But, the, I mean, it's all, it's written. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows the hairs on your head. He has called you by name, right? You were created by a loving God. Not just a God, but a loving God with worth apart from your body from your appearance, from all of those things that the world is saying, conform to, conform to. The second one is that nothing you have done in your past or that has been done to you will change your value or importance. Absolutely nothing. Okay? I've recently added in that that phrase, or that's been done to you. Okay? Because it's really important to note that when you're dealing with body image issues, specifically eating disorders, 
very commonly there is a triad that happens. Usually if you find someone who has an eating disorder, there has also been some kind of abuse, very common sex abuse, um, and very common self-injury. Those three cutting, burning, whatever it is, okay? Those three things, eating disorder, abuse, and self-injury, typically go hand in hand. So if you see one of those, do a little note to self to watch out for the other ones, okay? Because nothing that they have gone through, not whoever they slept with, how, whenever they got drunk, all right, whatever they've done in their past or that somebody else has done to them is going to change their value or importance. That's so important. Okay. The third one, yeah, is that their life has a purpose. And, oh, my gosh, I mean, how many teenagers are desperately out there trying to, to see what their purpose is? Um, but, you know, again, Scripture talks about how I know the plans that I have for you. I know, I already know. Plans for you to prosper and succeed, plans for you to have a future, okay? So knowing that that is one of the truths that transforms. And the last one is that what they're trying to achieve by dieting or relationship school, whatever, it's a real and legitimate need, all right? It makes sense. And I know what you're thinking. Now, wait, what? Okay, but what I mean by this is here's the catch, all right? It is. It's a loving and, and uh, it makes sense what they're trying to do, okay? What am I trying to do? Get your kids to ask themselves, why am I doing this stuff? Am I trying to feel loved by losing weight, by dieting? Am I trying to feel special by being valedictorian? Am I, what am I trying to achieve by these things? Whatever it is, those are all legitimate, real needs. Christ, in his creation of us, has created us with needs. All of those are valid. We were created to desire feeling important. We desire to feel special. But the catch is, if we find ourselves trying to fulfill those needs in things outside of Christ, it's empty. So there's a place for those needs. And really encouraging the kids that we work with to say, it's okay for you to want to feel beautiful. It's, it's okay. God created us with those needs. But if you're looking to dieting or magazines or media or whatever it is to fill that need, it may work for a little while. For, you know, that hour, that day, it may feel good. You may feel like, yeah, I'm all right, I can do this, right? But it's never going to satisfy your soul, never it's always going to leave them empty-handed, okay? Um, I love this, this next part. It, it's uh, Tim Keller, and I, I stole this from him, but it's called the glory self. He, he coined that phrase, the glory self. And it's when we get our, our needs met, the security, acceptance, significance, when we get those things met in Christ, that's when we are free to claim our glory self. And our glory self can have zits and cottage cheese thighs and wrinkles and a unibrow and all of those things, okay? And it's so freeing to find our glory self by having our needs met in Christ. It's amazing because the, the standards of beauty are constantly shifting, um, thinking back on Marilyn Monroe a couple decades ago, Marilyn R Monroe was a size 10, and she was the standard of beauty. If I had worn skinny jeans when I was in high school, I would have gotten laughed out of the school because the standards of beauty are always changing. And either we teach our kids that they've got to keep up, you've got to keep going, you've got to change, you've got to, you've got to find out what it is, what's the next fad, what's the next trend. Or you root yourself in what Christ says, because that never changes. His standards of beauty 
they don't ever change. His standards of love, acceptance, significance, all of that stuff is set. And there's so much freedom to accept that glory self when we're there. Okay, last slide. I put up some ideas, some methods of improving self-esteem with some of the kids that you're working with. I also, on that the t- table over here with resources, put my business card. And at the end, um, oh, we all don't have that. My business cards are over there. We don't have time to go through these ide- ideas right now. But if you're ever interested, my email address and phone number are on there, and I am more than happy to, to come and, and either talk with your youth group. We love doing things like that. Um, do a weekend retreat. That's what Elizabeth and I typically every year lead is, is a weekend retreat with, with girls. Um, or I'm more than happy to show you and tell you some different ideas and ways that I usually work with girls in that capacity too. But these are some ideas. Um, and at the end, oh shoot, um, I also have a bunch of other resources. So again, there are a few right there, um, but if you ever want other resources or websites or things like that, you know, please feel free to, to contact me. Do y'all have questions or th- that's... Which came first, the yeah. bullying? Did that lead to her then having that self-talk? Or did she have self-talk first and then the bullying just, you know, confirmed what mm-hmm. she's already Well, is it, is, it is absolutely important because what happened, what our job was there to find out what that shame piece was. What, what was that seed that planted, right? Um, because she's going to start acting that out, and as she's acting that out, she's going to start attracting other kids to allow to to have them treat her in that same way. And you know, there's not a perfect answer for that. That's a great question and a lot of times it's the chicken and the egg, you know, um where sometimes you can look at it sometimes you look at a child and you can recognize there are developmental things that that need to be tweaked or social skills that you know, can be worked on and things like that. With this girl in particular, I I can tell you there was really nothing abnormal with her, Um, but she was truly taking in the messages that she had heard. Um, I'm not a mom basher. I I, I am a mom, and so I know, and obviously, um, and so I know the stress and the pressure um, but a lot of parental influence um, factors in to this. And so I think you have to kind of take a, a, a wide lens approach and, and see what are all the different components and factors that, that have led to that, that bullying. Well, thank you all so much for coming.